Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. All right, we need to get into the Word. Now, before I do, I want to give a quick report. I was down in Jacksonville at Springs Church. I was speaking down there. Many of you might not know this, but when this church actually started about three or four years into the church, uh, we planted a church in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, they took everything from us. They took all of our designs. They took all our logos. They took our, our CCB, our, our Connect, everything. And they, we planted a church through Pastor John Bailey, who moved that church around five different locations throughout Jacksonville and has grown it over the years. The church started with, I think, 12 people in a house. So I went down to go visit the church this last Sunday, and they had over 1,200 people in the house. Not only that but they've actually absorbed two other churches that were struggling through COVID and they came to this church, to Jacksonville. And this is what they said to Pastor John and Pastor Owen now who's leading the church. They said this, they said there's such a report about this church in the city. If anybody needs help, if anybody needs an outreach, this is the church to come to. So they said, we wanna give you, we're struggling, we're gonna give you the congregation and our buildings. And they ended up absorbing two more buildings and two more congregations that were actually given, that were in the process of dying, and now they're coming back to life. They have 100 people over out of their west campus. They have 1,200 people over on their east campus. And God is just moving powerfully. When I was there, there was two young men that were leading an outreach to a methanol clinic. There was nine salvations that morning, that Saturday while I was there at the clinic on the streets as they were praying for people. And then I come in on Saturday afternoon and the two boys who actually, they're young men, they're in the young adults, who are leading the outreach are cleaning the church. I said, what are you doing? They said, we love it here. The presence of God is here. I, I got reports that people were coming from Orlando to Jacksonville to be at that church. So I just want to encourage you, you prayed that into existence in this house, and God is doing some wonderful and awesome things. And I got to be there. I really did feel like I had a word from the Lord. Uh, I thank God. God moved, not because of me, but despite me. Amen. He moved. The two altars were packed. God was doing some great things. And I've heard reports since all over social media that God has set me free, that I feel like I've saved for the first time all over again. So I'm just grateful what God has done. Amen. Amen. It was a great time. You never have to worry, Springs Church. I never want to be in Jacksonville. That place is hot. <laughs> I'd leave my, my hotel and I literally would walk outside and then I would like crawl on all fours back at the hotel just going, air conditioned, air conditioned. I mean, it, you just sweat like you, and I'm a sweater. And I forgot what it's like. I would just go for a walk and I would just be drenched all the way through my clothes. So I was like, I'm good. I'm heading back to Colorado. Be blessed. We'll pray for you there. Amen. Amen. All right, let's get into the word. I want to share a message that the Lord has put on my heart this morning that I've entitled, We Need an Angry God. We need an angry God. And I'll speak about that in a moment. Let me just share where this message came from. And then just briefly, I'll pray over it and then we'll get into it. If you got your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah 64. I was finishing up some of my series through Genesis chapter 3, and as I was getting done, I had a few people that came up to me and they said, you know, Michael, Pastor Michael, um, 
would you be willing maybe to address some of the progressive ideas and things in our culture that are beginning to infiltrate into the church? Um, would you be willing to talk about subjects that not a lot of people are willing to talk about, like the transgender issue that's happening right now, or like homosexuality and, and, and God's view on that, and sexuality in general? Can you, can you speak a little bit more to it? Would you deal with abortion a little bit more, and, and just the idea that this is okay, and, and, and can, we, can we have a discussion, can we talk about some of these things? Now, if you deal with those topics and you know somebody that deals with those topics, don't leave just yet because we're gonna talk about it. And before you get mad at me, let's just see what the Bible actually says. So get mad at the Bible, don't get mad at Pastor Michael, amen? So, so we're gonna get into it together. But as I was listening to a few different sermons on it, because I said, God, how do you want me to approach this? And I've dealt with many of these topics before. In my research and through sermons, I found out that over 60,000 churches throughout the nation in America have, uh, have embraced these types of progressive ideas. 60,000 churches across all denominational lines who would say homosexuality is an okay lifestyle. Uh, there's no such thing as gender anymore. Uh, abortion is okay, it, it, it's, it's all right. God doesn't mind if we abort a child or we abort a baby. Um, a lot of social justice causes that, that get kind of intermingled with things that the scriptures say are good, but also things that the scriptures say are bad, are being embraced across 60,000 churches in this nation. And as I looked at that number, I began to pray, and I began to listen to some of the sermons and doing some research. What I saw out there was a little bit of what I do as well at this pulpit, is, is you get so frustrated and infuriated of what's happening in the body of Christ that you just want to make a statement to be able to make a stand. And it's good, we need to make a stand, we need to make a statement. But the statement and the stand alone isn't actually getting at the root cause of why these things are being embraced in our culture and why they're even being embraced in the body of Christ. Because there's a deeper root that we have to start to address, which again, we've been talking about Genesis chapter three of this idea that we don't believe that God is good and we think we are more loving than him, which leads us to this place to reject things in the word that we think are not good so that we could rewrite it in a way so that we think it is good. And we lose it some. And one of the places we do this, this is the first place it actually begins to happen, which leads to all these other places, is we think that God's anger and God's judgment is not good. And because we think God's anger and God's judgment is not good, many times we will eradicate it out of our theology and our doctrine. We won't say it, it'll be in our statements, but we'll never address it, we'll never deal with it, we'll never embrace it, which sets us up to begin to morph and change who God is and to tolerate things that God has never called us to actually tolerate. So let's talk about that this morning. I wanna talk about sometimes we need an angry God. Let me just pray. Father, I have done my best to prepare this word. I have been through this. I have studied it. And I gotta be honest, I am nervous about sharing it because I wanna do it right by you. I want people to see how good you actually are and that the anger of God is a good thing, that is a right thing when you understand it. And God, I can't do that throughout the work of your spirit in this house. I can't do that unless you anoint us to be able to hear your voice, not just my voice, but the very voice of God. So I pray your anointing and your touch over the teaching this morning, and I pray that you would move in our hearts where you would apply this word, even in areas of our old lives, where we do not believe that you are good, or we're shutting something out about who you are because we're not seeing it the way that you have shown us in scripture. Lord, let a spirit of revelation be released in this house, I ask. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 64, I'm going to read 1 through 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. And when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, nor ear has perceived, nor eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We are all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us. We pray, for we are all your people. Then Isaiah 65, I'm going to read 17 and 18 to you. It says this, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. Stop there. The last couple of weeks, I've been speaking out of Genesis chapter 3, and through those sermons, we've been looking at what came into the human heart through the fall. We had said because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, we deal with a sin nature, but we also struggle with brokenness deep inside of us, and because at the core of who we are, there is this brokenness and sin we do not believe that God is good, and we think that we are more loving than God. Now, through these sermons from Genesis chapter 3, I have done my best to try to prove and to convince you of just how good and how loving God is by explaining the covenant that he made with his son on our behalf, and then how he brought us into the covenant through Jesus' action as a testator before he died. And what it all means is we now have this unchangeable covenant relationship with God that gives us the security that we need to be open and honest in our relationship with him so that we can come into all of the intimacy and the healing in our walks that he speaks about throughout scripture. But Isaiah chapter 64, and this is important, shows us one more truth about God that we need to embrace, we have to embrace it if we're going to experience the healing that every one of our hearts actually needs. What is that truth in Isaiah chapter 64? Well, let me put this up on the screen because I want you to see this. Ready? This is the truth. Here it is. God is not just a loving God. Ready for this? God, and this is important, is an angry God. Now, I, let me explain, because I already know what people are thinking. You're thinking, Pastor Michael, you have just spent weeks, weeks, painting us a, a, a scriptural picture of God that, that was setting us free by giving us an understanding of just how accepted and how embraced and how covered we are in our relationship with the Lord. 
And now you want to start talking about God's anger? I mean, if we start talking about that, all the progress that we have made up to this point of healing me is going to be destroyed. But let me just challenge you with the fact, ready? That there is no such thing as a loving God if there's not a God that gets angry. There's no such thing. And if you don't understand how God's anger actually works, what will happen is you will be reading the Bible and you will see God's anger in the scriptures and then you will become confused about everything that we have been talking about over the last couple of weeks. We have to grasp it. We have to understand it. Or your heart can never be truly and fully healed. You can't hide from it. It's here in the Bible. So we got to address it. We got to talk about it. In fact, let's look back at Isaiah chapter 64 and let me read to you again verses 1 through 4. Are you ready? It says this. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, nor ear has perceived, nor eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Now, what is Isaiah chapter 64 really about? Are you ready? Because what this passage shows us is it actually shows us the hope that the nation of Israel had that gave them the strength to be able to endure and to be able to go through all of the persecution and mistreatment of the nations around them. In fact, let me put this up on the screen, and I want you to write this down. This is important. You cannot live in hope in a broken world without a God that gets angry. It's not possible. You can't live in hope in a broken world without a God that gets angry. In fact, think about this. From Isaiah chapter 40 on, the prophet Isaiah begins to speak about the exile of the nation of Israel. Now, even though the people of God brought about the exile under the military might of Babylon through their own disobedience, there are a lot of passages that tell us that Babylon and the nations that surrounded Israel took things way too far. They did things that they were not supposed to do. During that time, there was a lot of injustices that were done to the people of God. The capital city of Jerusalem was destroyed. Their children were brought up onto the top of cliffs. They were thrown down and then they were dashed into pieces on the rocks below. They stripped all of the men and women naked. Then they literally drilled holes in their chins. They put ropes through their mouths. They tethered them together and then marched them all the way back to Babylon. Many of the surrounding nations, they actually laughed. They were glad. They delighted in Israel's destruction. But look at Israel's response in Isaiah chapter 64. How do they respond? They're crying out to God that he would come down as a fire, as an earthquake. They are praying that God would come down with anger to stop the injustice and to break the pride of the oppressor so the oppressed could go free. Do you see it? 
Do you get it? Isaiah chapter 64 is showing us something about God. It is showing us something about our world. It is showing us something about how our human hearts work. Isaiah chapter 64 is showing us that our hearts cannot have hope in a fallen world filled with injustice unless there is an existence of an angry God. We need a God that gets angry at injustice. I was having a discussion a number of years ago with a student who attended the youth group here at Springs Church. And he was bullied most of his middle school experience. And it had all types of severe effects on his life and on all types of his relationships. Um, he was tormented by the psychological and physical and emotional trauma of all of the bullying that he endured through all those years. And this young man was having a hard time trying to reconcile the fact that there is a loving God, but there's also a place called hell. And that one day, we're all gonna have to stand before the very judgment seat of God. At the end of days, we're gonna come there. And for those who have not received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the Bible makes it clear that they are gonna be punished and they're gonna be sent to a lake of fire of pain and of torment. And he was having such a hard time trying to grasp this reality that God is love, but yet he will be willing to send somebody to hell. And I didn't know how to answer him in a way that he could get it. And I'm sitting there and suddenly the Holy Spirit gave me a moment. He gave me a gift of wisdom. And I said to the young boy, this is what I said to him. Imagine this just for a second. Imagine that your principal found out what's going on with all these bullies in your life. And the principal, as a reaction to what was going on, called all the boys into his, his office and he said to them, he said to them, listen, 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 don't you realize what you're doing is wrong? But he never punished them. He just lets them go. And then a week or two goes on and all the bullies gang up on you again. And then the principal brings them all back into his office and says, boys, 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 now you have to understand what you're doing is not nice. But he lets them go again. He, he never punishes them. Then another week or two goes by and they gang up on you all over again. And this pattern of them ganging up on you and the principal bringing them into the office and telling them to stop but never punishing them keeps going on and on and on and on and on all of your middle, your middle school and high school experience. And then I said to this, I said, do you think that that principal is being loving. Do you think that's loving? He looked at me for a second, his mouth just dropped. He said, no, that would be absolutely horrific. So if God never judged sin at the end of days, and he just let everybody enter into heaven with all of the injustice that comes with it, all the lying, all the gossiping, all the hurting of people, and he let it go on for all of eternity. It continued on and on and on. He never brought it to an end. He never stopped it. Would you say God is being loving? I watched as his eyes lit up. He got it. You cannot have a loving God without a God that gets angry. It's not possible. You can't live on this earth with any real hope without a God that gets angry. Write this down. I want you to see this. I'll put it up on the screen. God's anger is not like our anger. Our anger is mixed with all types of sinful motives, 
our anger is filled with our ego, our frustrations, our crankiness, and our lack of self-control. God's anger is subtle, it is fixed, it is strategic, it is incorruptible resistance to injustice and evil. No debt will go unpaid. Every account will be squared, and nobody, nobody will get away with anything. And that's important, because not only does that truth give us the hope we need to be able to endure through this life, but it also gives us the power to be able to forgive and not retaliate against someone who's done something wrong to us. Think about that. In fact, let me put this up on the screen. It's a quote from a Croatian pastor, and he said this. This is a man that was in all types of war zones. This is a man that dealt with genocide, and he said this. The practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance. The only way to live a life of nonviolence is to believe in a God that gets angry at injustice. Now that statement is hard for us to swallow as Americans because we've experienced so much blessing, so much protection, so much provision in our nation throughout all of the decades. We don't know what it's like to live in a country that has to deal with genocide or to deal with a caste system, or to deal with sex trafficking every single day as a reality of their lives. How in the world do you follow Jesus' commands that says we are to love our enemies, and to love our neighbors, and to forgive those that trespass against us, when your whole family was literally cut up and killed by a neighboring tribe with machetes? The only way you could ever forgive them the only way that you could find the strength not to pick up another machete and, and to retaliate is if you had a deep understanding and belief in the reality that God is going to be faithful to judge every bit of every injustice and he will punish it rightfully as he sees fit. Either the perpetrators will finally put their faith in Christ and the debt will be paid through Jesus' death or they're going to go before the judgment seat at the end of days, and God is going to declare them as guilty and send them to hell. We don't live in these types of places, so it's hard for us to understand this sometimes. I remember Times Square Church when I attended there, and they did a huge outreach to a place called Burundi in Africa. In the Burundi, you had the Hutus and the Tutsis that had a genocide with each other. And there was a pastor's conference where some of the pastors were actually sitting. They were sitting in this meeting where other pastors who had family members killed their own families. Actually came in and killed all of their family members. Their children, their daughter, their sons. How in the world would you be able to work through a place of unity knowing that that guy has a family member that killed your own children? How do you do that? To walk in that, to have that self-control, to say that I'm not going to retaliate even though I'm weeping over my own kid. How are the Ukrainians going to be unified with the church in Russia? How are they going to do that when, when their own family members were fighting against them? How do you do that? The only way is if you have a belief and a trust that God will be faithful to be angry against the injustice, that he will be faithful. He will punish it through Christ or he'll punish it at the end of the days, but it will not go unchecked. 
This is where progressive Christianity makes no sense. This is where the wheels begin to fall off. We're living in a day and age where the church is now embracing all types of anti-biblical ideas that are now trumping the authority of God's word. Like I said before, there are denominations that will say it's okay to practice a lifestyle of same-sex attraction or that there's no such thing as gender anymore. There's denominations that just believe you have to be happy and the reality, the only way you're ever gonna be fulfilled is if you follow the dictates of your own heart. Just follow that. You know better than God. God doesn't know what you need. He doesn't know what will fulfill you. You know what you need. And there's this idea in your own fallen nature, just follow your own fallen compass off the cliff because that's what's ultimately gonna make you happy. They say to you, you have to be true to your feelings. Oh my goodness, if I was true to all of my feelings, we would be in a serious mess in this place. Let me tell you something, you would not like Pastor Michael very much. If I was just true to my feelings, I said what I felt, I acted as I felt. Let me tell you something, this church would be an absolute mess. There are denominations that now say, if you feel like you're a woman, even though you're a man, what you need to do is you need to act on those feelings. You need to dress and act like a woman. If you're a man and you feel like you're a woman, you need to act, you need to dress like a man. There are even denominations that are now embracing abortion and saying that killing a baby in a womb is okay, which clearly, clearly goes against scripture, especially when there's so many passages that said that God forms and knits us in the womb, that he knew us before time even began, that he called us into existence before the creation of the world. Where do all these progressive ideas in the church come from? Well, it all comes from the idea that if God is love, then that must mean he is tolerant. It all comes from the idea that God cannot get angry, that God cannot judge because those things are unloving. And therefore, we as the church, we should embrace, we should tolerate all lifestyles because that's the love of God. But don't you see don't you see that you cannot have a God that loves without a God that gets angry? If God never judged the sin and the actions that are causing all of the brokenness and the pain in this world, he would be the most unloving being that ever existed. God's love calls for him to be angry. Let's look back at Isaiah chapter 64. Because God's anger against injustice makes sense for a world outside of Christ. But for us, who the debt has been paid, how does God's anger work in our own Christian lives? Well, let's go back to Isaiah 64 and look at it. I want to read verses 8 through 9. Watch this. It says this. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. I want you to highlight, circle. I want you to put an asterisk all around Father. Put Father. Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. 
Notice how Isaiah says in verse 8 that God is a father and that God is an artist. God is the father. We are the children. God is the artist. He is the potter. We are the clay. We are his artwork. And as you continue to read on all the way into Isaiah verse 9, as you come to 64 verse 9, you begin to realize that what Isaiah is saying, and this is so important, that because God is such a good father and because he's such a perfect artist, he has set all of his attention and his love on us. It is because that God loves us as a father with a passionate love and as an artist that he gets angry. In fact, Isaiah calls on God in verse 9, and he doesn't say, God, don't be angry with us. He says, don't be angry beyond measure, or what the original Hebrew says, don't be angry with us forever. Isaiah doesn't say, God, because you're a father, you should never get angry. No! Real fathers who love their children know what it is to experience anger. In fact, let me put up on the screen a quote from C.S. Lewis, one of his greatest books, The Problem of Pain. And listen to what C.S. Lewis says, because this is profound. Get this, he says, when Christianity says that God loves man, ready for this, he goes, it means that God loves man. Not that he has some really indifferent concern for our welfare, but that in awful and surprising truth, we are the objects of his love. You asked for a loving God, you have one. The great spirit you so lightly evoked is present. Not a senile benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way. Nor the cold goodwill of an honorable magistrate. Nor the care of a host who feels responsible for the comfort of his guest. But the consuming fire himself. The love that made the world persistent as the artist's love for his work. Wise, careful, and admired as a father's love for a child. Jealous, unescapable, exacting as love between the sexes. Now watch this, because C.S. Lewis is saying the exact same thing that Isaiah is saying in chapter 64. The two authors are actually telling us that the opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love is hate. And the ultimate hate is indifference. That's what it is. The opposite of love is to not care. And because God is love, it's the core of who he is. He cares just as much. In fact, he cares more than a father cares about a child. He cares more than what an artist cares about his own creation. How many parents in this room know exactly what this scripture is talking about? How many have seen your children doing something? Maybe they've been lying at school and they haven't done it just once or twice. It has been repeated to their teachers, to their friends, and you know that that behavior is gonna be destructive to their lives. You know that that behavior is gonna destroy every relationship they're ever gonna have. What do you feel deep in your heart? You get angry, don't you? You get mad. You're not mad at the child. You're mad at the behavior that is destroying them and is setting them up to have a terrible future. You're angry in your heart. Yes, you go through the motions. You try to correct them once they continue on. Yes, you go through the motions. Oh, yes, but you get angry. You get, you get to a point of just being mad. How many in this room have dealt with a family member that was addicted to a hardcore drug? And then you ended up at a hospital one night because they overdosed, right? 
in all of your sorrow and all of your pain, what do you feel? You feel anger. You're mad. What are you mad at? You're mad at the addiction that is destroying the life of the one you love. Tell me it's not true. We were created in the image of God. Yes, our emotions aren't perfect. Yes, they're fallen, but they have a measure of a mirror that show us the heart of how God operates and how he works. Oh my gosh, when you have a child that's been a drug addict and you've been through one overdose after another and you're taking them and you're trying, you get mad, you get frustrated, you get angry in your spirit. And it isn't towards the child. You're not kicking the child out. You want the child. You're mad at the addiction. You're mad at what it's doing. You're mad at the sin. You're angry. You want the best for them. You want them to come in all that they ever could come into. You want them to have a right relationship with you. But this stinking sin, this stinking addiction keeps destroying everything. Let me put this up on the screen. Anger is what love bleeds when you cut it. Anger is what love bleeds when you cut it. If someone loves you and you're screwing up and you're doing something wrong and you're destroying your life, they are furious at you. Why? Because they love you. <laughs> because they see the destruction you're doing to yourself and to your relationship with them. Now let me shift gears for a second. As I was preparing this word and I was going through this and I was thinking about God's anger, how it works in our lives, how God does get mad, how he does get angry, especially at sin and actions that are destroying ourselves and our relationship with him, I began to pray and say, God, if this word was a javelin of truth, if this is something that you're trying to pierce through our souls and our spirits, our joints and our marrows, if this is something you're trying to bring a separation so that we would know what is right and what is wrong, then where's the tip? Where does the message ultimately lead? Where do you want it to go inside of our hearts and inside of our lives? This is all good and it's important and we need to understand it and we need to grasp it, but, but how do I begin to apply it? And I was sitting there and I'm writing through this message. I'm just writing, writing, writing. And it takes me, I don't know, probably nine hours to write a message between the prayer. It's like 20 hours by the time you're done or 25, by whatever it is. And I'm sitting there through these hours and I'm studying and I'm thinking and I'm praying and I'm meditating. And suddenly I had this sense in my spirit. I had a sense in my heart that there would be people that would be sitting in the auditorium today who have either experienced or are experiencing the anger of God they can sense that God is displeased with something inside of their life. They can sense the conviction of God. Maybe it's a mother or a father who has been praying and waiting patiently for a prodigal to return. And things have gotten worse. They haven't gotten better. They're falling further and further away. Not only are they falling further and further away, but literally it's taking so much time. They've waited so long. It's not even years anymore. It's a decade. It is two decades. And in their hearts, they're now at a place where they have fully disengaged. They don't believe anymore. They've allowed the faith to run out. They've allowed the faith to go dead. They've allowed the burning of their trust in God for their child. All the promises. You even have promises that have been given to you by God in the scriptures that you have highlighted over them. They were given to you by him. You know them. You pray over them. But you're done with them. You've disengaged your heart. There's no more faith left. You don't believe for them. You don't pray for them. You won't help anymore. And you can sense God's conviction over your life. You can sense this place of... of, of and I'll say it, this, this anger, not at you, but at the unbelief, at the unbelief. 
where God is saying, don't give up, don't give up. Continue on, continue going forward. You used to come into this house and when worship would start, you'd bring them to this altar every Sunday. As you would worship and pray, you'd say, God touched their lives, but now you've let it go and God is bringing conviction and saying, no, you have to stand in that gap. I'm not done. You don't stop until I tell you you stop. There might be someone in this room this morning, your marriage is on the rocks. And you've been thinking about and contemplating divorce. You're not even thinking about it anymore. You're dreaming about it. And you go online and you're finding out about divorce lawyers. And you're figuring things out in your head of how it will affect the children. And what to do with the assets. And what we should do with the house. And, and, and you're playing around with this idea. But you can sense deep in your heart God's displeasure. You can sense it. You know that God is calling you back to that marriage. And he's not just calling you back to the marriage. Listen to me. He's calling you to go to get real counseling. And not just get counseling. Oh, the displeasure is even deeper than that. He's calling you to submit to counseling. That means to listen to what a third party objective view actually has to say. And to lay down your pride and to work about things in your own heart and in the relationship. God is calling you to give it time. And you could sense it. You know there's a displeasure on it by God. How many are even married in this room? And you've been playing around on the social media sites and you're getting too close. Too close to someone on Facebook. Too close to somebody on the Instagram and all the other places. Maybe somebody you work with. Maybe somebody that you met on the internet. And you're making excuses and you're saying it's not that big of a deal. But God will not get off your back on it and you try to go to bed and you can't sleep at night and you're doing your best to put the excuses before God, this is nothing. We haven't talked about anything romantic. We haven't gotten to a place where we've united or yoked ourselves together. You're trying to put an excuse there and yet God, you can sense the displeasure of the Lord. He's saying, no, this is wrong. He's putting it on you. There's a place where he will not let it go. Maybe you've been staying away from church. Maybe this Sunday is a once in a blue moon for you. And you're out of the church and you're not coming back because you've been hurt by another Christian or because it just takes too much time or effort to truly get plugged in. We live in a day and age where we just want to double click on something and it's always there. And we don't realize that the one thing that the church gives us to start is fellowship, not friendship. You have to work at the friendship. You get fellowship in a church. You work and devote yourself to the friendship in a church. And people expect the fellowship to be a friendship, so they get frustrated. You mean I got to go to the community group? You mean I got to get to know people? You mean I got to invest in their lives and give them time and pray with them? Ah, I don't want to do that. They'll find me on Instagram if they want to find me. That's where everyone else finds me. But God's hand is on you. He won't let you just sit at home and binge Netflix all day and stay away from really getting connected to the fellowship of the saints. See, the best way I describe it is God's hand has been heavy on you. He has been heavy. This is not just a normal conviction. This is not just a normal place of correction. You can sense that God is displeased and he's trying to go after something. And the problem is, and this is the problem, you feel, get this, that God is angry at you. 
So you're not coming into the presence of God to call on his name so that he can work into you the surrender that you need to obey the thing that he is calling you to do. You are running from God. You are not coming to God because you sense the displeasure. You sense the conviction. You sense God's anger against that thing that's going on in your life. See, what you're missing, what you're not getting, and I'll put it up on the screen because I want to drill this into your mind. God's anger is not because he rejects you, but because he loves you. His anger is not because he's rejecting you. It's saying you're the worst and you never get it right. How many more times do I got to give you to put it all together? You're failing. That is not what God's anger is about. His anger is because he loves you. He is not angry with you. He is angry with the sin. He is angry with your decisions. He is angry with the belief that is destroying your life and destroying your relationship with him. That's what he's angry about. That's what you're sensing in your relationship and your walk with him. In fact, let me show you something. I want to show you a promise of God out of Jeremiah 32, 40. This is my last scripture and then I'm, I'm done. But I want you to see this. Jeremiah 32, 40. This is what God says. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. Now, when you read through Hebrews, you begin to find out that when God is talking about making an everlasting covenant with them, he's talking about the church. He's talking about us. In fact, he brings out Jeremiah 31, 31 in Hebrews chapter 10. So this is for us. This is a promise for us. And this is what he says. He says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. You guys hear that? God is saying, I will never turn from doing good to you. No matter how you feel my conviction, no matter when you feel my displeasure about what you're doing, I will never turn from doing good. In fact, he goes on to say, if you come to me, even when you sense my displeasure and you're struggling, you're still failing and making mistakes, but you're coming, he says this, I'll put my fear in you and I'll work to surrender in your life so you can let go of the thing that you couldn't let go of before. I will make it so that you fear me. If you'll come, if you'll come. In fact, let me show you this actually working out in the life of Peter. And then we're going to close together. I said last scripture. I lied. This is the last scripture. I sensed the displeasure and the frustration of God. But I am coming because he's not turning from me. And I'm saying, Lord, I'm sorry. Deal with that in my life. Amen. Okay, let's move on. Ready? Ready? Here we go. Luke chapter 22. And look at this. I want you to see this. Verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon. It's not going to be up here, by the way. I didn't give him this. But listen to what it says. It says, Simon, Simon. This is Jesus speaking. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me. How many times? Three times that you know me. Then verse 54, watch this. This is important. Having arrested him, speaking about Jesus, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat amongst them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him. 
But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You are also of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Now watch this, verse 61. And the Lord, ready for this? Turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Oh my goodness. Does this not give us a picture of how God's heart actually operates and how our heart messes it up? I want you to see this. Peter denies Jesus three times. This is the darkest season of his life. As he's denying God, you better believe he is sensing because he's remembering the conviction and the displeasure of God. He has now let God down. And what's so amazing is as Jesus is being beaten and he's being put before the trial of the high priest, they are mocking him and they are spitting on him. As Peter finishes denying him, as the words are coming out of his mouth, what does Jesus do? Jesus actually turns. He turns away. Everybody's beating him. He's literally being destroyed. He's isolated. He's alone. And he turns and he locks eyes on Peter. Now the human heart, this is what the human heart thinks. God is angry with me. And he is rejecting me. So I better run away from God. He just saw what I did. And I could sense the displeasure of the Lord. But watch what Jesus is doing. Because Jesus is not looking at Peter and saying, I'm angry at you, so now I'm going to reject you. No, no, no. Jesus is fulfilling Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 40. Jesus said, Peter, you are in the worst spot of your life. You are denying me. You are running from me. But even as I'm being spit on, I'm being mocked, I'm being tried, I'm about to be crucified, I turn towards you, Peter, because I'm going to do you good. I am locking my eyes on you because I love you. And I will be faithful to the promise that I will reinstate you and bring you back at the Sea of Galilee after I rise from the dead. Do you see it? God is saying, I'm turning towards you when you are failing, when you are sensing my displeasure. But in your heart, you think I'm turning towards you because I'm angry and I'm trying to cast you out. And God is saying, that's not what's happening. Yes, I get angry. Yes, it's a displeasure. Yes, there's conviction. Yes, there's correction. Yes, there's chastisement. But in all of it, my acceptance and my love for you who are in Christ, it never wavers. It never goes up, and I loved you more last week before you felt my displeasure, and it never went down, and I love you less this week because of the displeasure. doesn't happen. I will always turn to do you good. To do you good. Every promise is still yours if you want it. Every promise. I'll walk with you even through your own consequences. I'll be with you even if you messed up so bad you're in prison. I'll be there in the prison cell with my presence. I will never turn from doing you good. Never. But our human hearts, because of the fall, don't believe that God's good. We think we're more loving than God. So we fail. We sense his displeasure. We can even sometimes sense his anger and we think it's directed directly at us and it is rejecting us. It is not drawing us. Oh, church, 
We need God to open our eyes one more time. Amen? Stand with me, Springs Church. Stand with me. Stand with me. Oh, praise the Lord. Man, I wish we had time for an altar call today. And I normally would push it. But I'm not going to. So this is what I'm going to say, and this is what I'm going to do. Everyone in this room needs this message. Our human heart does not embrace the anger of God. But do you see it now that without his anger, injustice never gets paid? And without injustice being paid, there's no such thing as love, especially when you're the oppressed. It's easy to sit in America when we have so much and to think in our hearts it's not that big of a deal. But when you live in other places around this world and you're a young girl that's been sex trafficked and you have been raped a million times and you have been destroyed, you have been ripped apart, what is her hope to endure? What's her hope to be able to forgive? How can she do it? She has to know that everything's going to be made right. It is the only way. God's anger is perfect. It is strategic. It fights against injustice. It fights against evil. And there's a day coming where he's going to stop it all. Done. And he's going to make it right. Amen? We need an angry God. And when you feel the frustration of God in your life because you are in Christ and because he loves you so much like a father and like an artist, I want you to get this. His anger and frustration is not against you but against your sin. And he does not reject you. No, no, no. He has turned forever in Christ to always do you good. Let's pray. Father, God, I need this word in my life. I need to learn this in my heart. But Holy Spirit, you're the only one that can make it come alive. And I pray that we would be a church that would not be afraid of the anger of God. That we would see that your anger is part of your goodness. And we would embrace the goodness of God. We'd say, God, thank you that you're going to judge all injustice. And thank you that you made a way for anybody who has done an injustice to pay the debt for them through Christ. You actually stepped down and said, not only will I judge it, but I'll judge my own son on your behalf for what you have done and I'll make it right. God, what type of God is like you? Who is like you? And God, we thank you for this. And God, when we sense your displeasure and conviction, even your anger in our lives, God, God, we thank you for the promise of Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 40, that says you will never turn away from doing us good. You'll never give us the back. You didn't give Peter the back. You turned face forward and said, ah, you're not getting my back. You're failing. You're messing up. You could sense the displeasure. You know you've screwed it up. And, and yes, I am frustrated with your sin. Yes, I am angry. I am angry at your disobedience, but I will I'll never give you my back. I turn towards you and all of my promises and everything you need to overcome are still gained. Amen. So God, we thank you for that in this house today. We thank you for God. And God, it puts such a joy and a shout in my heart of just praise before your throne. So today I pray for your people. Let them be blessed mightily in the name of Jesus. Let them be filled afresh and anew by your spirit, God. And let your truth encourage their hearts as they continue walking out what it is to be a Christian in this fallen world filled with injustices. Let them have the strength and the hope that comes from all of who you are, my God. God, we commit it to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you need to be dismissed, you can be dismissed. But where's the, is the worship team here? Come here, worship team. Now, sense my displeasure. Just kidding. 
I'm just doing, can we, can we mag, this God is so good. The prayer team's gonna be up. Can we magnify the Lord one more time, a chorus? What was the last chorus, worthy? Our, our God reigns. Can we just, our God reigns together. Can we just magnify him? What God is like this? Who is like this? Can we just, and if you need prayer, the prayer team's up here. If you need to give to the church, you could do it online or our offering buckets after you leave. Otherwise, we love you. Let's say our God reigns together. And then after we're done, I'm not coming back. I'm gone. No more lying. We're dismissed. Amen. Amen. Let's lift the Lord up in a shout of praise. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.